1: Hey, welcome to the Hell has an Exit Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Alzate. This show is not affiliated with any specific 12-step program. If you or a loved one is struggling with an addiction, please find a local 12-step meeting. If you believe you may need detox or drug treatment of any kind, please call 833-999-1877 to speak to a specialist. This show is sponsored by United Recovery Project, a state-of-the-art drug and alcohol rehab facility. You can visit our website at unitedrecoveryproject.com. All right. Hey, welcome to Hell Has an Exit. I'm your host, Brian Alzate. Today, we have my close friend, Kevin Alter. He's been on the podcast before. Kev, you have one of the largest, if not the largest Facebook pages about recovery that I've seen. I know a lot of people want to ask you questions. I know you get asked a lot of questions. You don't do podcasts ever. So I appreciate you coming on the show you know, telling your story and, you know, offering some wisdom to people out there.
2: You're welcome, man. I appreciate you. Mm-hmm. Well, let me ask you,
1: how many followers do you have on Facebook right now?
2: On Facebook, I think we're hovering at like right, right under 900,000. Okay. Something like that. Do you know how
1: long you've been doing it for exactly? Is it like three years? Yeah, a little over three years. A little over three. Because I remember like you had another page and like you merged it and like you rebranded, but the Addicts Diary has been going on for three years.
2: I think it's three. You know, COVID. Mm -hmm. I'm sure, like you, kind of like those two years feel like Mm -hmm. like maybe one months. Yeah, 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 like maybe one year. But yeah, three or I think the page was started in March, so Mm -hmm. it's probably coming up on four.
1: Like when you first wrote something on Facebook, were you like, like, what was your thought process the first time?
2: Probably like like most addicts. Like my thought process the first time was like probably filled with fear.
1: Mm -hmm.
2: Like I don't know if this is gonna work or if people are gonna read it or. People are gonna make fun of me, and um, yeah, because
1: I'm sure like guys are kind of like you know we make fun of each other, you know. Yeah. So it's like you especially know, our friends. Yeah, it's actually our friends. Yeah, like when you do something like that, there's got to be that fear of like people are gonna be like, "Oh, look at Kev trying to be like some <laughs> some yeah. Facebook person in recovery or whatever." Yeah, and honestly, most recovery advocates are like really cheesy. Yeah, corn. It comes off corny. It doesn't seem genuine. Like, we wouldn't hang out with them in real life. Like, a lot of recovery... That's why I wanted to do the podcast, honestly, because it's like... I think that a lot of recovery podcasts just aren't authentic. Yeah, yeah. Give it some authenticity. Yeah, and I feel like yours from the beginning caught fire. But, like... Well, do you I think
2: know? the first thing that gave me confidence was that I did, like, a little research on, like, the most popular addiction blogs. Mm-hmm. Now, these weren't on social media, but I saw that they had, like, millions of, yeah, I guess, yeah. subscribers or followers.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And I read... I read some of their blog posts and I was like, wow, this is amateur hour, you know, Mm -hmm. beginner's level. And so I thought, well, if they could do it and they could have this much success, then I could, you know. Mm -hmm. But I'll tell you that I still, like every time I post, I still have that fear of like the flop, right? That this is gonna like flop. This, isn't gonna this be one's good. not gonna work, and sometimes that happens. You know, I used yeah. to have like a metrics in my mind, like if I didn't get a thousand likes in the first fifteen minutes or whatever, it was bad. Yeah, it was a bomb. Yeah, it's crazy because once you get caught, like in that period where it doesn't take off. Uh huh. It's pretty rare that it's gonna like take take off, off later.
1: Yeah, yeah. If yeah. it's not like a huge hit, and it's like it's weird because it's like I look at your posts and I'll like try and think like why did this one go so yeah. viral? Like, like what is it about this one? You have some that are just so well written and so quick and like yeah, the simplicity the, of it. Yeah, the simplicity of it. But then you also have like long written stories. And like I was telling you, you know, like obviously I have like a treatment center we do like our own social media and like my business partner Alex was like. How come we can't get someone to write like Kev? I'm like, dude, it's not like that easy, bro. <laughs> and he was like, I don't even read shit. He's like, bro, I don't fucking read anything. And when I see Kev's Facebook page, I end up fucking reading it, bro. He's yeah. good. And I'm like, I know, bro. Like, I don't know. Like, I thought I could, like, write good. But, like, my stuff, like, it's almost like people are like, oh, that's nice. And, like, they yeah. give you a <laughs> like. It's not like people don't, like, rage behind it and share yeah. it. You know, your stuff uh, goes viral
2: all the time. Yeah, it's a grind for sure. I think it's also, like, in the following. hmm you know, I had a following from the beginning that, for whatever reason, really attracted mothers of addicts. Like, mm-hmm. that's my base. And they're they're great followers because they're going to like and comment. Yeah. Because they don't give a shit what their friends think. Yeah. You know, like, they're, yes. they're past that stage of life. Someone who's, like,
1: young and cool is going to be like, well, I'm not going to share yeah. your post, bro. Like, I'll, I'll like it or whatever. I'm not going to share
2: it. Yeah, I've got some followers that I could literally say anything. And they're like, great testimony, Kevin. <laughs> you know, and I, don't, I don't know them in real yeah. life. Yeah, I, w- I was extremely fortunate with the following. I, the whole thing just kind of worked out. People ask mm-hmm. me all the time how to do it. I'm like, I, I don't know. I just got on there, clicked post, mm-hmm. and
1: then... Well, I do know you personally. I know, like, you have relentless work ethic. So yeah. I would say that, like, I have met other people that try to do what you do. Like, they're not meticulous to every little detail, which I know yeah. you are, and they don't work 90 hours a week. People don't realize that the addict's diary is like a full-time 24-7 thing for years to build it to what it is today it wasn't just like hey i posted too you know like yeah why well, didn't mine take off how come yeah. i did hashtags bro like <laughs> yeah. or, or they think that you're doing all this paid stuff because for yeah. a long time i remember people would like to be like oh he must spend so much on ads i'm like he doesn't
2: yeah no too cheap for that yeah yeah to spend any money on ads a lot like like most things in life you know a lot of things are timing right if you Mm -hmm. look back historically at the timing of when i started the page Mm -hmm. it's pre the country becoming extremely political Mm -hmm. it's pre-covid and it's like just at the beginning of the fentanyl epidemic really kicking off which Mm -hmm. is when i would say when the stigma really started to get dropped because Mm -hmm. a lot of like people's kids unfortunately died who were first-time users and Mm -hmm. A lot more people became like, wow, this is a real problem that we're going to have to do something about.
1: Because it's one thing to be like, oh, well, your son Johnny became a drug addict. And everyone in the neighborhood's like, well, that kid was always fucked up or whatever. But when it's like your kid that bought Coke one time and it was laced with fentanyl and now they're dead, it's like it's starting to impact people at such an alarming rate where it's not a buildup. Normally someone becomes a heroin addict with fentanyl. It's like. They went to a party, they fucking they sniffed got something. Pill and, yeah. They, oh, yeah. Or they thought it was a pill and they fucking died, you know? So the buildup is like, it's not there anymore. Normally it would take like years for someone to turn into like a bad heroin addict. Now it's like instant. Yeah, it's instant. And they don't even have like the ability, they just die, you know?
2: Yeah, it's, it's crazy. I always tell parents like if I, I was using during the fentanyl, like fentanyl, be dead. I'd be dead. Yeah, 1,000%. I was like a 40 to 50 bag a day heroin addict Mm -hmm. for for those 10 years.
1: Yeah. Whenever I see like young kids in treatment, I always tell them like, dude, when's the last time you've seen an old heroin addict? Like, like they're not around anymore, bro. Like 20, 30 years ago, you'd see someone who had been shooting heroin for 30 years and whatever. Now it's like five years, you know, Yeah, maybe if, if three years, yeah, yeah, two years, it's like any day it could happen. Let me ask you, what was your first post that like went viral?
2: So the first post that went really viral was that UC heroin poem. <laughs> that one went really viral. Yeah. You wrote that? Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. Yeah, that was uh that was not a fun time actually, like debating with people whether or not I wrote it, you know. Yeah, so that you- was a really crazy thing for me because it was like That's never happened before. Yeah, it's never <laughs> happened before and then like I wasn't, like, in recovery that long. I uh-huh. wasn't all that that <laughs> well-known and stuff. So I really didn't have, like, much credibility either. Well, what was funny was
1: how much it was copied and how, like, I think some people would be like, oh, man, whatever. You were like, this is mine. I wrote this. <laughs> Take it down. Yeah, I'm going to sue you. <laughs> I'm going to sue you. This is copyright material, but... But that first poem, it was really cool to see how popular it was. Because when I started seeing it from like just random people, yeah. I would be like, yo, my friend Kevin wrote this. If you don't take this down right now, we're going to find you. <laughs> yep,
2: yep. <laughs> Kids would call me or message me and say, hey, I read your poem. It's hanging on the wall of the treatment center I went to. Wow. And, like, all these different treatment centers and stuff. Wow. Yeah. That's crazy. What? Um... The first one, though, that went viral on The Addict's Diary, mm-hmm. uh, Jake helped me write. I remember there was this this young girl from New Jersey, and her. Remember um, in the beginning when people first started overdosing, and they were releasing the body cams. Yeah, 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 yeah. They had her, either a body cam of her or somebody had recorded her overdose in Jersey and put her on YouTube. I think I remember this. Yeah, I don't want to say her name because I don't know if she wants her. You know. Yeah, yeah I, I remember this. Yeah, she messaged into the page. It was about 8 o'clock at night, and she said, hey, um, I'm that girl that overdosed everyone made fun of on YouTube. Mm-hmm. I remember the idea instantly hit me, and I said, oh, yeah? Do you want to show everyone how you're-? She goes, I'm two years clean now. Mm-hmm. I said, oh, yeah? Do you want to show everyone how you're doing now? Mm-hmm. And she's like, absolutely. So I texted Jake. I said, I got it for sure viral. Mm-hmm. So we, we lined up the photos, and we, we watermarked it, and we just said, like, uh, Jay came up with the idea. It was so simple. It was like, it was her words just, just framed up better mm-hmm. to capture everyone's attention on social media. It was like, my name is so-and-so. I'm the girl that overdosed on YouTube that everyone made fun of. No one, no one bothered to check on me. And today I have two years clean. The whole thing was like 30 words. And we, we, now, would, how yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, now, how about you make that go viral? Yeah, yeah, yeah. How about you make that go viral? Yeah, because she had gone viral. Yeah. For,
1: and she, yeah. Because yeah. yeah, so the thing, so she overdosed. There was a body cam footage. Yeah. Everyone was posting it like, yeah, making fun of her. Making oh, look at this junked out girl right. fucking overdosed on the ground. And then, and that one yeah.
2: I've never seen. I mean, we had the, we had stuff later on, but to that point, I had never seen anything like it because yeah. it instantly took off. Mm-hmm. And I remember me and Jake were sitting there. And we were refreshing the phone. And as we would refresh the phone, like the, the Facebook app, uh-huh. it would say, you know, 2,100 shares, 2,600 shares, wow. 2,612. 26, and it just was like, it didn't stop, remember, mm-hmm. for like five days. Yeah, that was Yeah, that was, yeah, that that was, was cool. crazy. That post was so good that like years later, other pages stole it. And posted mm-hmm. it as if it had just happened. And I watched it go viral. And mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, man, this is torture. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like watching your idea get but stolen you, yeah. and be successful again after it was stolen. It was like. Yeah. Yeah. It's like. But um, yeah, that was the first one on the page. That's sick. And we didn't know back then
1: mm-hmm. that
2: like the best time to post after a viral is like, like right, right after, away. Right after,
1: so you didn't post
2: for a while? <laughs> yeah, we didn't post for like two days because we, we didn't want to affect the reach of it. Gotcha. And now if you if I see something going viral, mm-hmm. I'll post like a few
1: hours later. Yeah, people don't understand how intricate Facebook is. Oh, my God. Dude, Facebook. We spent
2: hours and weeks and months you studying You tell it.
1: me things that I'm just like, like, it yeah. is. I remember like on MySpace when you would like copy and paste like your HTML code or whatever or what was it called? I never used MySpace. <laughs> you must MySpace. have
2: been young on MySpace, huh?
1: Yeah, I was like in eighth grade, seventh wow. grade. Sixth grade. But, um, yeah, I remember, like, you would add music to your thing. You feel like a genius or whatever. With Facebook, as a user, I didn't even know that you could do things in the background of a page, you know? Yeah. And there's so many things that you can do that just blow my mind. Like, when you tell me something, I'm just like, what? You could do that?
2: Yeah. The first thing that we would do is we would never post before 9 a.m. Mm-hmm. Because at least, like, where I was from, like, you got to figure from 7 to 9 or earlier than 7, mm-hmm. everyone's commuting to work, right, in New York. You want to get them when they're at their desk Mm -hmm. or their workday is started because most people don't use the phone when they're driving. Yeah. So we would post after nine and then we wouldn't want to post during like dinner time because people are eating dinner, right? Yeah. But after dinner, they're sitting on the couch. So we would Mm -hmm. post at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Yeah. Because at that time, too, we were really, like, an East Coast following.
1: Yeah, was, yeah, and it's interesting that, uh, you know, obviously, like, I met you in Florida. But, like, when I would go to Long Island, it would be, like, celebrity status. Like, everybody in Long Island was like, yo, what's up, Kev? Like, everyone yeah. knew you there. Yeah. It's like, in Long Island, you really are, like, somebody that a lot of people, they just love. Because it's, like, such a feel-good story, you know? Yeah. So I think with addiction, there's so much news and articles out there about, like, the overdoses and whatever and, like, that's the point of the podcast is that, like, instead of, like, bashing the problem, we're talking about the overdose. Like, what is talking about the overdose do doing? I think, yeah, it spreads awareness. But, like, I want to have success stories on here. You yeah. know, I want to show people that people, yeah, heroin's horrible and it's cut with fentanyl and everyone's dying. But there's a lot of people getting clean at really young age. And I think that particularly, like, your personality, how young you were, and, like, your story just reached so many people because you're somebody that when people look at, they see their kids.
2: Yeah. They relate to me, and I, I kind of became there for a while at least, mm-hmm. like, I guess almost like the the person that they wanted their, their, sons, kid to be their like. son to yeah. be like, you know, that had a problem. And, you know, it, it's flattering. It's just, uh, I think I was like one of the first people at that time to really say, you know what, this isn't going to like work if I try to do this anonymously. Mm-hmm. Like, I got to be out in the open yeah. about this. Mm-hmm. At that point, too, and and I would make the same dis- decision today. It's just that was really um, in hindsight for me. Like, because there was many nights when I was clean in that first year, the first, second year. Mm-hmm. Being that person to those people kept me clean. Yeah. I was like, I can't go get high. Like, I'm going to, you know, yeah. I'm going to, these people let are gonna all to be extremely down. let down tomorrow. You know, like, they, they have no mm-hmm. hope except me, and now I'm going to go and get high. And then... Mm-hmm you know, it really, um, it really, it gave me a purpose. You know, we all need a purpose in life. And like, Mm -hmm. when you first get clean, it's really hard to find that purpose, you know?
1: For sure. And I think like, for me, like not everyone's going to have, you know, a Facebook page with fans that they don't want to let down. But it's like, for me, like going to meetings was like, you know, I had a commitment there. I did the key tags. I had the chair in meetings. So like, I had accountability, which is like really so important. And I think as an addict, I always thought accountability as like, being weak or soft or being like someone having to 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 babysit me you know i didn't understand like accountability is good like when you work out with other people yeah dude it's healthy for the brain for the spirit Mm -hmm. you do things in groups and community like community overrides anything it's like i remember when i was in like i did play football like one year and dude there's no way (laughs) yeah believe it or not (laughs) i remember that there was this one kid on the team and he was just horrible he couldn't he was like way worse than me fat out of shape and there were some practices where, like, steam was coming off our helmets, and I wanted to quit so bad. You'd see him doing it And that. I'd see him doing it, and I'd want to quit. And I'm like, dude, I can't let this kid, like, right. I can't let him beat me. There was times where, like, we all wanted to quit, but we didn't want to be the ones to quit. And, like, all together, dude, we, we would do a practice every day in the summer in Florida. And it's like, if I was by myself, I'd be like, who cares, bro? I'm fucking leaving, you Yeah, know? yeah.
2: Yeah, the team stuff holds you accountable for sure.
1: Mm-hmm. And even the ego, like a lot of people talk about the ego being so negative, but like you can use your ego in a way where it's like, it will get you to do something that you normally wouldn't do. Because I remember when I first got clean, like I was collecting the key tags and I told this guy like, dude, I feel like I'm just staying clean out of ego. He's like, dude, you (laughs) couldn't stay clean and save your life or you're going to die. Who cares? He's like, you'll figure out the intention later. He was like, bro, you'll, you'll get over that. I was like, all right. Well, it's like sometimes like grit and ego and... Not wanting to, like, look bad in front of other people. Like, when I was using it, I didn't give a fuck if I let people down.
2: Yeah, that was a question that I I used to get a lot was, like, how do you keep your ego in check with so many people saying, you know, how great you are in the comments? The truth was, I wasn't really reading a lot of the comments. Mm. because there were so many people messaging me, yeah. you know, and still to this day, like I'll read some of the comments for a little bit, but it's, it's, it's a lot. I mean, you can't read 6,000 <laughs> comments, you know, <laughs> you can't even respond. This to is them. your advice to kids. The goal is to get
1: so many comments that you can't read them all. <laughs> yeah.
2: No, I just, I wouldn't feed No, It's into true. It. Yeah. yeah. I, w- I wouldn't let it, I, I understood right. Very clearly that I was doing the same thing that a lot of other people were doing. A lot of our friends were doing mm-hmm. as far as staying clean i just had the ability to write about it mm-hmm. so i never thought i was like special yeah. you know like we're all supposed to stay clean right yeah <laughs> none of us are supposed to be doing not uh doing heroin
1: yeah. the fact
2: that i was celebrated every day and still to this day i'm mm-hmm. celebrated for not sticking needles in my arms yeah. is really when you stop and think about it completely fucking insane mm-hmm. but i mean i'll take it you know like it's yeah. it's nice to be recognized that i stay clean
1: and yeah and i think in south florida And our group of friends, like we have so many friends in recovery. It's not like for us in the recovery community, it's like, oh, congrats. You got eight years. You got 10 years. You bought a house. Like things like just happen to us that, you know, when addicts get clean, bro, we, we do what the fuck we want to do. Like we have dreams and goals. We accomplish them. You know, I believe that addiction is such a heavy burden that like once you are free of it, it feels like freaking you were like running with like a hundred pound jacket and now you just ripped it off and you can do whatever you want. So I think for us, we kind of get numb to like, it's like normal for us, but to other people, it's like this big, huge thing, but like still today, like when I post my clean date on social media, it gets the most likes out of anything. It, people just like to people see love a
2: comeback story. People love
1: the comeback story, <laughs> sure. you know? For sure. I just think that for you, like, people love connecting with you particularly, like, on, like, some deep-ass level just because your writing connects with them so much. So, like, people really think that, like, they know you. And it's, like, there might be somebody else with 5 million followers, but they don't love them the way they love you, you know? Like, your 900,000 followers, like, ride for you.
2: Yeah, no, they, they've been there. There was that time I had the, the beef with uh, Tom Hanks' <laughs> wife. Remember that? What? No. Oh, you never saw that one? Uh-uh. Yeah, Rita Wilson had had taken the poem. Oh, she stole the poem? Yeah, this was during COVID, so I had plenty of free time. Oh, my God. You know? And I was like, wow, she just stole the poem, you know?
1: What did she do? Like, she screenshotted it and posted it, or she rewrote it?
2: She No, she had it, like, written on some type of background or whatever, mm-hmm. and then was, like, promoting her uh, So I think she's a singer. Mm-hmm. I don't want to misspeak on the actual turn of events, because mm-hmm. I don't really remember. I just remember that the poem was up there, and it, she was crediting someone else. Mm-hmm. So because I had gotten the blue check on Instagram, uh-huh. I got right on there on the Addict's Diary Instagram, and I was like, uh, how about you credit the author? Mm-hmm. And then I guess a lot of my followers saw that. Started messaging her? Yeah, so then I took it like once. I was fired up. Then I took it like <laughs> one step further, and I, I screenshotted her post, and I reposted it, except I branded it stolen mm-hmm. like across in like big, bold, red mm-hmm. letters. And then she started responding to me in the comments. And anyway, after a while, like the followers. What anyways, did she say? She was just, I don't know. Was she, she kind
1: apologetic of, or was she like No, what? at
2: first she was kind of like a little snooty and like pushed us off. And I kept like zinging her in the comments. Mm-hmm. And then my followers, like you were just mentioning, you know, they came through like they always do. And they were giving her hell. Yeah. And so she changed it or whatever. But I remember I called up Jake at the end of the night and I said. One thing's for sure, bro. <laughs> I said by the end of tonight, Tom Hanks is gonna know my name. <laughs> you know, like he's laying in bed right now, and his wife, and his wife's like, talking about it. Too. Like this fucking heroin addict, Kevin Alter, just ruined my post. Mm-hmm. You know. Well, but then, yeah, yeah, in the end, she made it right.
1: Yeah. yeah well, I remember like we would both have because I remember I'm not gonna say who it was, but somebody had taken a story that you put up there, yeah. and then yeah, copy and paste. I it, used to
2: be kind of harsh about it.
1: The thing was, like, I messaged him and I was like, dude, like, you know, I understand that you guys make recovery content like we do, too. You copy and pasted what we wrote and then you stole the picture. Right. And the guy was like, well, I'm just sharing the story. And we're like, no, bro, because if you wanted to share the story, you would click the share button. Right. Like a right. normal fucking person. Right. And I think that you are the the only person that I know that was making original content. Yeah. Most people were doing the chop and screw. They would just, you know, yeah. take three posts and like put <laughs> it together. Tape. Yeah, do yeah. The tape, the they do the mixtape, they remix. They're just like remixing posts. And like every once in a while, they would post something original, but it wasn't like good, you know, it just yeah. be like a, a caption about them using.
2: Well, I think the truth is, is that I think a lot of people can make the content.
1: They're just lazy. I don't think so. Yeah. I, I mean, honestly think that you're that gifted that I don't because, dude, I I can make the content. I write stories about my childhood and all sorts of stuff. It's not going viral, bro. I might get three six hundred likes, maybe. Like my stuff's not going viral. Yeah, you, you write it so well that it doesn't matter if you were like. Oh, I, I appreciate that. I'm I guess, just I guess let, sometimes I'm just, I don't give myself. I'm just letting you know, bro. It's not like if I if you locked me in a room and was like here's a pen and a pad, just write as as your vivid best. Best. as your best. Yeah.
2: yeah,
1: I would come out and like. People might like it, but it's not like gonna get notoriety. With you, you're like, dude, I was driving on 595. I wrote this poem when I was eating this Big Mac
2: <laughs> with, with ketchup yeah, on the I side. Do, of it. I do I I definitely uh, write him quick. Yeah, I, I don't know. I guess, yeah, I guess I deserve a little bit of credit. I mean, it's uh it is hard to go from from nothing to to building that type of following. You know, there's timing involved in it, but I guess at the end of the day, the content is good. It's it's a real fine line you have to walk, right? You want people to mm-hmm. to understand that, hey, this guy was really shooting, shooting dope and coke or whatever that, you know, whatever the post is about. But you mm-hmm. also don't want to make people want to get high, right? Because yeah. you could glorify mm-hmm. it like really well. And I've had I had like one post one time where this girl was like, you know, people would comment like right away and I hit refresh and she was mm-hmm. like, Oh my god, I'm gonna throw up and I, I had to take the post down because I had just written. In a way that
1: it was a really vivid story of using it just
2: made it just made the drug sound so good. Yeah. So I mean my, my key has always been, you know, my in my addiction, right? I lost my family. My family mm-hmm. like, you know, had to cut ties with me as I as I think a lot of families have to for, for me to wake up.
1: All right, guys, now a word from our sponsor, BetterHelp. It can be tough to train your brain to stay in problem-solving mode when faced with a challenge in life. But when you learn how to find your own solution, there's really no better feeling. A therapist can help you become a better problem solver, making it easier to accomplish your goals, no matter how big or small. If you listen to the show, you know that I always encourage people to go to therapy. A lot of people think that you have to go to therapy only if you're on drugs or suicidal. But the reality is, is that anybody can go to therapy at any point in time and get a better perspective on their life. Oftentimes, there's no better person than a professional therapist that can help you see the good things in your life. Oftentimes, or friends or family, all these outside people, when they say things that maybe they're saying the same thing a therapist is saying, it just doesn't reach me. And for me, a third party that is unbiased is probably the best person to give me advice. Therapy has changed my life. It's changed my friends' lives around me. And oftentimes you don't need to go forever, but I went to therapy for like six or eight months once a week. And I truly believe it was one of the most impactful things that I've done since getting clean. If you're thinking about giving therapy a try, BetterHelp is a great option. It's convenient, it's accessible, it's affordable and entirely online. Get matched with the therapist after filling out a brief survey and switch therapists at any time. When you want to be a better problem solver, therapy can get you there. Visit BetterHelp.com exit today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp.com
2: exit. Thank you guys. Have a good day. My recovery, one of the most important things has always been like the moments that I've gotten with my family. Mm-hmm. because I was, I was apart from them for so long. You know, my mom, my dad. Is this
1: the missing vein post? Missed the vein post? Missed the vein <laughs> post? Do you remember that one? No. I'll go back How's to How's that it. one go? Do you remember where you were making a post or you sent me a picture and you're like, I never missed the vein. And I was like. Oh
2: no, that one went, that one went, yeah.
1: That, went that one went pretty viral too. Yeah.
2: yeah. That was fire. Yeah. I wrote that one down here. Mm-hmm. I was laying on the couch and my vein was popping out and I'm like, yeah, I never missed. Yeah. I think you helped me write the ending yeah. to that. Yeah. See, that was cool. the other thing that I would yeah. do is I would send the post to like five, six people before I would post uh-huh. it. And they would say, what if you change this? And I would yeah. take the best combination. You know? Yeah, because that post was
1: like, you know, obviously. You I have... missed 20 years with my mom and yeah, <laughs> yeah. all that stuff. I missed yeah, all these yeah. Christmases. That's right. I yeah, that is the But so, there's been
2: a lot of posts about my mom. Yeah. And I think
1: that what resonates with you is that um a lot of addiction stories a lot of people's stories is that they came up with a broken home or they were really insecure as a kid or whatever no I, I didn't i didn't you know no your story is like the opposite your yeah. story is and like, i never
2: i never pretended to and we we learned that as we stay clean yeah. longer and longer that like hey man the fact that i became a heroin addict is the only thing i can blame on that is kevin Alder. Mm -hmm. whether my mom and dad hugged me as much as they did when I was a kid or if Mm -hmm. they didn't. Like, we don't really have an excuse for doing that. Yeah. Because there's people that grow up in horrible situations and they become doctors and lawyers and... But no, yeah, I, can, I come from a good family, you know, and they, they raised us, my parents raised us correct. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm, I'm grateful for that today that they were so yeah. strict and that, you know, that I have this work ethic. I mean, my dad used to have us like raking fucking leaves in like January, <laughs> <laughs> like to make sure that the lawn looked perfect. Uh-huh. And I'd be like, what the fuck? Why are we outside mm-hmm. raking leaves? As like my neighbors had their landscapers come mm-hmm. by. And I don't know why he did it. He just I guess at some point, you got to learn how to rake leaves. <laughs> you know? Yeah. That's how my dad was. I, I remember the same thing. Like, I remember it'd
1: be, like, Sunday morning. And it wasn't like, hey, guys, Sunday morning, we're doing landscaping. It would be, like, Sunday morning, 5 a.m., wake up, yeah. grab your stuff. I'm yeah. like, what? And, like... My parents never let us sleep in, yeah. no matter what. It was like, we're going to remold the front yard. And I was like, why? You know? Yeah. And my parents
2: used to say when I was a kid, like... Mm-hmm. Uh, we don't sleep all day around here.
1: Yeah, I remember being, like, really shamed for napping. <laughs> you
2: know yeah, I mean? yeah. my parents would be, like, really strict about that. Yeah, like, my dad hated napping. They were today. like, you're going to go out and get, like, the shit done that needs to be done today. Mm-hmm. And then you can, you know, maybe get a reward later of a rest or, you know, yeah. something like that. That's just how they were.
1: Yeah, I remember when I was little, my dad was fixing something. And he asked me to go get him a tool or something. And I, like, went and got him a tool. And then, like, I was just standing behind him. And I sat down. And he looked at me, he goes, get the fuck up. He's like, the only people who sit down while they're working is the president. <laughs> and it's like, I wasn't even. I've heard you say that before, that's right. <laughs> like, yeah. he just wanted me to be standing, you know what I mean? Yeah. I think that you and I both, you know. Yeah, we come from kind of similar We families. come from like stern, strict fathers, loving moms.
2: Loving moms, yeah. You know? but, that, but my mom, probably a lot like your mom, like she don't go against what my dad says. Yeah. Like they remain united yeah in, in everything with me, you know, mm-hmm. the good times, the bad times, things like that. but
1: how do you deal with parents like messaging you or like, w- like what do you say to them when they're telling you like, "Hey, my kid's at home, and he's like using, and they don't want to kick him out or they don't know what to do, or they feel like he's been to treatment already?
2: So I mean every situation's uh, you know as as unique as they might be. A lot of them are the same, and mm-hmm. so it, it depends on, it depends on the parent, right? Some people are just not going to take your advice. They're going to do things their way. And mm-hmm. I can usually get a sense of that early on. And so I've adapted with it the longer I've been doing this. I used to be pretty, like, stern in my approach and and tell them, like, hey, this is what you got to do. And, and you know, and that rubs people the wrong way sometimes. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, the first thing, if, if your kid is home and is using and, and they're refusing to go to treatment, the next step that I would usually take is, is give them some kind of, like, soft ultimatum. Mm-hmm. Like, hey, you know, you got to do something by this day. Like, say it's Monday and you and I are talking you give them a, a ultimatum date of, say, Friday, mm-hmm. and a lot of times I say they say, and it's it's sad because I I, I understand like where they're coming from, right? Like I have a, a Labrador, I don't have a kid, <laughs> and like and he does something wrong, I have a hard time punishing him because I love him so much. Yeah, but they'll say like I I can't kick my son out, and I'll say, well, it's you're not kicking him out, right? You're you're giving him the option to go into treatment or choosing the street. Mm-hmm. My experience is those that elect to not go to treatment and choose the street is what I generally see, I would say about 90%. They're back home asking for help in 72 hours. Most people don't want to live on the street. Using is a whole lot Mm -hmm. less fun. And a lot of times you're bluffing.
1: Dude, I've had kids tell their parents crazy, I'll kill myself, all these things. And and they really use this like fear tactics, like some terrorist type of mentality of like, if you don't do X, Y, and Z, then I'm going to go hurt myself right and you know it's hard but it's like you know you have to tell the parents like dude we don't encourage that and we don't engage in that and we're not going to deal with someone who's like threatening to harm themselves in order to get what they want because really you're battling the disease i truly believe the way i look at addicts is like Deep down inside, there's someone in there who doesn't want to use, and we're gonna like focus on that yeah. person. Yeah,
2: that was, that's was exactly what I was just gonna mm-hmm. say. I, I always tell them that as well. Is that I feel like everybody, at least some part of them, wants to get clean.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: If the parent has lost faith in treatment because there's been multiple treatment episodes and no success, imagine how the addict feels. <laughs> yeah, dude, that's crazy. you want to talk about like feeling hopeless. I mean, when I went into my 29th rehab. I had, forget about hope. Mm-hmm. I just had no belief whatsoever that, that this was going to work. I was convinced that I was going to yeah. die with a needle in my arm. And I pretty much welcomed that at that point in my life because people had passed me by. Mm-hmm. It had been years since I'd seen my family. And I was really disappointed in myself. I really went into that, that rehab really just because I wanted to get off the street for a little bit. And I'm i I'm a big believer in it doesn't, I don't care what, what motivates you to go to rehab because you don't know when it's going to click. So it's like, and how do you expect them to just get clean when they're in, injecting a substance in them every day that tells them yeah. everything's fine. We'll, we'll get, we'll worry about it tomorrow. I always tell
1: people, it's like the exact opposite of what, how it takes to get fucked up. It's like when you started smoking weed, you weren't like, I'm ready to fuck my whole life up. Like you were just smoke taking that first step. Right. And it's like, when you get clean, a lot of people are like, I'm not ready to get clean or they don't feel ready. And it's like, you just have to take that little step and then you take like one more. And then before, you know, it, you've been clean for a couple of years. But a lot of times people think that they have to be ready and willing for everything all at once. So they have to have a good attitude. Right. I don't think I had a good attitude. till like I had a year clean, you know, Yeah. like I yeah. had a bad attitude, negative, wasn't really sure if I really wanted to be here. And my parents were like, are you done now? And I couldn't, <laughs> like I was like, I don't think so. Like, yeah. What, what
2: does ready feel like? Yeah. It's like, it's. And there's people, though, there's people that, mm-hmm. that call me and stuff, and they're they're ready, you know, but it's certainly... It's they're certainly, ready to go right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, but I mean, like, do they really think that they're... Are they really ready to stay clean for the rest of their life? Because that's what the family wants to know. Exactly. They know they're going to stay clean in 30 days that they're away. Mm-hmm. But, like, is this going to be the time, Kevin? And it's, like, yeah. it's really up to them. Like, the truth is, is that everybody that goes to treatment has, what, a 50% shot of, mm-hmm. of getting clean.
1: Yeah, I posted something the other day. It's, like, you know, a lot of times we, like bash addicts because oh well they're not serious or whatever there's always a part of them that is serious there's just like that other part of you that's not and it's like when you're on a diet and you're like i'm gonna really eat really clean and then you go to a restaurant that bread basket comes around you know it's like were you lying or did you just give in to temptation at that moment you know and that's with bread we're talking about fucking heroin you know what i mean so it's like
2: I, i also feel like like after you get clean you realize like especially like after a couple of years you realize like really what kind of like tunnel vision and a fog you were in Mm -hmm. not only in active addiction but sometimes in early recovery like we're really not playing with a full deck Mm -hmm. like in comparison
1: oh yeah your first my first year I mean I was still lighting cigarettes backwards like I literally (laughs) I swear to God bro. I remember like just
2: (laughs) but just even 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 more Mm -hmm. so like the choice like I mean Mm -hmm. how many people do we know that had a kid with, yeah. with some with someone that they met in early recovery, and they're mm-hmm. not together anymore, oh, yeah, and they're on social media every day and they're bashing that person. It's mm-hmm. like they Thank weren't you. clean long enough to really yeah. make the decision of who to partner with in life and and I look back on my life and it's like how did i how did I live in a train station? Mm-hmm. How did I let that how was that yeah. okay? you know how did I accept that? Mm-hmm. And how did I make that same mistake over and over? Why did it take me so long to grasp what I had to do to get clean yeah. and it's really like You're just not really playing with a full deck there Mm -hmm. and i'm so grateful that the therapist uh was able to break through to me in treatment Mm -hmm. and give me that clarity into my root issues and and i was very fortunate to find kind of my modality of therapy i guess with with the writing and Mm -hmm. and continue that into you know even still today
1: yeah and as much as uh you know you might not see it it's like writing has really been like your creative outlet like yeah, yeah it's blown up to this thing it could have just been you writing and you know people liking it you know like for right. me writing's been like therapeutic for me it feels good to write something and like you know even yeah. 100 people like it or 50 people like yeah. it, you know what I means when you get clean you're going to struggle with people places and things you're going to struggle with your family not believing in you you're going to struggle with finances and keeping a job you're going to struggle with love and intimacy and you're going to struggle with like like body image stuff you know with guys it's usually like working out with girls it's like whether they're losing weight, weight or whatever, yeah. you know? And it's, like, the one thing that I think that we forget is to have fun. Like, get a hobby. Dude, I have, like, guys I sponsor, and they're, like, miserable or frustrated. I'm like, bro, when's the last time you fucking did something? Like, right. sometimes I think we forget that we're clean. Right. Like, we still – like, when you're using, it's, like, <laughs> dope dealer at home, you know? It's, yeah. like, it's like, when you're using – you're not, like, oh, I got my drugs. Should we go to the beach today? You know, like, you can't even think about that. And I think my first year clean – I didn't even know that, like going going somewhere is an option, or like taking a fucking class, or like.
2: That's why I tell people when I speak at a rehab is like, what's your plan when you leave here? Well, I'm going to go to meetings. It's like, okay, so let's let's just map out your day, right? There's 24 mm-hmm. hours in a day. You're going to sleep, for, let's say eight, and you're going to work for another eight. That's 16 hours. You're going to go to that meeting. That's 17 hours. You still got what seven more hours. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and people people sit around and they think about how recovery sucks. They're like, uh, or they sit around and yeah. they and they you know they hate on themselves or they hate on others. When like for me, you know, I got into working out. Mm-hmm. I got into um, writing. Yeah, you know, as corny as it sounds, right? It wasn't me at all. <laughs> yeah. like, I was a, mm-hmm. not a good guy when I was using. I wasn't writing and stuff. Mm-hmm. But you got to find something. You need a hobby. You know. <laughs> You know, it's not that life's boring or the halfway house is boring, it's that Mm -hmm. you're boring. And you really got to challenge yourself Mm -hmm. and do things like outside of yourself. I remember it happened to me when I was in the last treatment center. I knew exactly how to get out of like doing the activities that they would take (laughs) you to in treatment, which was like bowling. I was dope sick and the tech came in. It was like the Saturday and they were Mm -hmm. taking us on the activity. And he said, Hey, Kevin A., we're we're going bowling at three o'clock. I remember he looked very scared of me because mm-hmm. I kind of like...
1: Can be intimidating, yeah. Yeah,
2: and I just like popped up from the bed for a second. I decided at some point during that treatment very early on that I was just going to try and do things different, right? Mm-hmm. Despite everything that was going through my mind, like, you know, I wanted to say like, you should shut that door and not come back here, <laughs> you know, because I'm not going bowling. But I was like, okay, brother, I'll be ready. And I remember I went bowling and I was so dope sick. Mm-hmm you know, like that lingering effect, like the whole week I was so dope sick and I was starting to have like a little bit of a reprieve from Mm -hmm. it. I went bowling, bro. I had a fucking blast Yeah. with like, you know, (laughs) you go to a bowling alley with like people from treatment. It's like not cool at all. Like you're in there. Like Mm -hmm. everybody knows the treatment centers here. Yeah. People are like, they look crazy. Yeah. Yeah. And bro, I went, I was just like, fuck it. You know, this is where I'm at. I'm going bowling, mm-hmm. and I had a blast, bro. Yeah. And I have to remind myself to do that even still today. A lot of times, there's people that I see and stuff on social media, and I'm like, this guy's a fucking dick. Mm-hmm. This guy's an asshole. Because however they choose to live their life, they choose to live their life. And then uh, at some point or another, they'll ask me a question or something, and I'll start to talk to them. I'm like, man, I had that guy totally wrong. Yeah. We cut ourselves short, you know, yeah, by not trying things.
1: Prejudging and predetermining. Oh, I'm really bad. At how that. it's gonna like come out you know i'm really bad at it what is the process like of getting someone
2: into treatment for me or yeah just in general i guess um, for you well for me a lot of times the people that reach out to me they don't want to go to treatment mm-hmm. so you know their family will reach out they, they, they usually come to me because somebody else had said i performed some miracle and i got their kid <laughs> to go to treatment right And so, you know, I'll talk with the family about, you know, options for them. What's, you know, they'll explain what's going on, what the loved one's using. Mm -hmm. And then it becomes a game of, you know, you got to be ready at all times. Like that person, if they refuse the option of getting help, I always tell the parents like, hey, we'll keep trying until they are ready. Yeah. Because uh, I'm a big believer in that in active addiction, everyone's going to have a bad day.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And there's going to come a day where suddenly the idea of getting help sounds better than another day at using.
1: Yeah, like when you get beat on your last bag, you're <laughs> like, and, and then someone says, ready to get clean, you're like, fuck. You know, yeah. like, like there's that window. Yeah, that small window. That small and window. That's, that's why yeah. I
2: tell parents, like, if you can expedite that process, you know, cutting off resources to the loved one. hmm making it harder for them to use, making their using less enjoyable, mm-hmm. then they'll be ready for help sooner. Like, I went to 29 yeah. rehabs because I was living on the street. Mm-hmm. If my mom and dad just let me stay home in, in Massapigo Park. I not to rehab. Chilling, yeah. yeah. I would be like my friends that never went and, and you know, they're, they're gone.
1: Yeah, and I think that when I talk to parents, they, sometimes they'll be like, well, you know, he doesn't want to go. I'm like, why would he? He's <laughs> yeah. at home. He's got a place to live. Yeah, no, that's You're the, that's, meals. The, that's the
2: most common rebuttal. He doesn't want to go. And to that, I say, yeah, everyone doesn't want to go until they go. Yeah. You know? No one wants to no go. No one wants to give up their cell phone and, and go yeah. sit in group and, and, and detox. It would be and, weird if you wanted to go.
1: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And some people do want, sometimes it's so, sometimes there's one, these weird. 1% there's this one percent where you're like want to hey bro you want to go to treatment like wh- why don't you ask me sooner because <laughs> they're ready to go <laughs> yeah. and a lot of times I see it with uh like husbands like sometimes like they'll be like this husband's like really quiet or reserved and like everyone's scared to approach him and then like they'll sit him down ask him to go to treatment and he's like pack my bags you know and it's yeah. just like you never really some know. people are
2: waiting for them to be you know they're banging they're crying for help inside. I think I was
1: I think that when I was ready to go to treatment dude it felt like someone airlifted, like, a helicopter into, like, I was, like, stranded on an island. I felt like I was getting saved.
2: I'm not sure if I, t- I told you this story last time or not. Mm-hmm. Did I tell you the story about, I got a call from a, a mom one time, and she tells me that her son needs help and that he 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 won't get help and, mm-hmm. and that she'd like to do an intervention. So I'm like, okay. She goes, I gotta, for, I gotta warn you that, like, you know, my son's violent. Uh, okay. You know, like, how violent? She's like, well, you know, like, he beat up his dad a few times. I'm like, all right, well, I'll bring a couple of guys, and we're, we're we're not there to, we obviously, we can't, like, you know, fight with him and stuff. But I'll, I'll show up with, you know, a few guys, right? So we get there, and the kid's in his room, and he's, like, 18, 19. Wow. We get there, and his room's on one side of the house, and <laughs> parents li- the parents have this this nice living room. we sit down, and the I, you know, to my surprise, the dad's a big guy. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, shit, man, we got like John Gotti in there, you know, we're in a lot of trouble here. So I got my, my three guys with me or two guys with me and they're explaining stuff and they're like, yeah, he takes, you know, he smokes weed all day and he takes Xanax and he gets in these rages. I'm like, all right. So there's the kid's bedroom. There's a dining room table directly to the right is a bathroom. Mm
1: -hmm.
2: And so I got a guy in the bathroom, I got the parents and another guy behind the dining room table and there's me next to the dining room table. It's like doing an exorcist. (laughs) So, no, I was like worried if he's going to come out swinging (laughs) that we got him from all sides to peel him off me. So I'm like, all right, I'm going to knock on the door. Mm -hmm. So I go up and I knock on the door kind of nicely, right? Because even (laughs) me, I'm a little bit worried. Like, I don't know who's in this room. So I knock on the door. I'm like, kid says, who is it? So I knock again because I don't want to say it's it's Kevin. I'm here to do your intervention. I just <laughs> yeah. I just wanted to open the door. Uh-huh. I knock again, and I take, like, two steps back. And, bro, the door opens, and it's this little kid <laughs> with, like, acne and, and young kid. I'm like, hey, what's up, man? I need to talk to you about getting some help. <laughs> and he's like... He looks up at me. He goes, okay. And, bro, it was like a 35-second conversation. Uh-huh. I was in the back. I said, hey, bro, listen. You know, mom and dad told me what's going on. Like, you're fucking up your life. They want you to get some help. Mm-hmm. I don't think they're going to let you stay here anymore. And, like, you're heading down the wrong path. I don't want you to waste 10 years of your life like I did. Are you willing to get some help today? He's like, yeah, sure. Wow. Wow. And it was, you know, sometimes like to, you know, when it's your own set of problems, right? Yeah. It's your kid, it's hard.
1: Yeah, it seems like sometimes yeah. it's an
2: outside perspective of it. And I mean, I was shocked, bro. I was expecting wow. like this, like I said, like this <laughs> like like this mobster to open the door mm-hmm. and just come out of like a bat out of <laughs> hell and it was this little kid. Like you know, and he was health. young.
1: Uh, I have this uh, a similar story. Well, not that similar, but I remember this one time, like, you know, dude, me and my dad have such a good relationship. Like, I think my dad is the most blown away person that I'm clean. Like, I think, yeah, nobody mine too. Like, dude, my dad was, he had, my dad lived a rough life. He'd seen a lot of shit. After he dealt with my ass, he was like, yeah, this kid's not coming back from me. You know, my dad did not think I was going to turn my life around. And when I did, he's like so proud of me now. Yeah. I remember he called me and he's like, Brian, there's this girl, her parents are struggling with her using, you need to go talk to them. And I didn't even, I was like clean three years. You know, I didn't do interventions. I didn't own a rehab. I wasn't like in the business or anything like that. So I remember he was like, you just got to go over there and talk to her. And I was just like, I don't really do this, dad. Like, I mean, tell her to go to a meeting. He's like, you got to go save her. She's just like you. She's been using. And uh, I was like, all right. So I go over there and uh, they live like in a nice house, like not far from here. And the mom is, like, doing the typical, like, I found this in the trash, and I I think she's doing these or whatever. Mm. I'm like, okay. So she pulls out this pill that she found. It's a Roxy. And I hadn't seen a Roxy in years. And I was like, Jesus, lady, you know, like, yeah, she's on opiates, like, okay. And the mom's like, she's going to be here soon. She's been texting me all day for money. And I'm like, well, do not give her money. And she's, like, all scared. Like, if I don't give her money, she's going to scream and, you know, whatever. I (laughs) I was like, don't give her money. I already set up a treatment center for her to go, like, she's going to go, and if not, we're going to tell her that she can't stay here. And she's like, we're going to k- k- kick her out. I'm like, yeah, I'll be fine. And she's like, I don't know if I could do this. I'm like, it's fine. So the girl shows up, dude, she's like, fuck you. Who are you? You're over here brainwashing my mom, oh, no. And I was like, look, like, you know, we know you're using, she's like, I'm not on drugs. You're fucking crazy. It's the first time someone like really cause like in recovery that we don't deal with that. It's like people who go to meetings are already like ready to get clean. Like I'm not trying yeah, to come yeah, yeah. not trying to convince True. somebody to yeah. get clean. I've never even experienced yeah, this. Sucks. A part of me was like, It's not fine. I'm not like I, I'm not doing this for like any benefit of myself. Like I'm just trying to help your family. And I remember the mom was like what if i just gave her like ten dollars i'm like don't give her anything you know because this girl was really trying to say that she needed money for like to go to the mall for something for school and i was like don't give her any money so the girl ends up leaving i tell the mom like call me if anything happens she's like what are we gonna do and i'm like she's gonna call and she's gonna come back and in my mind i'm like i hold up you know like i don't really know what's gonna happen but i know that you don't want to give her money i'll never forget the mom called me two hours later and was like can you come back i'm like what's up she came back home she's ready to go to treatment
0: Welcome to the Genesis house powered by the United Recovery Project. Located in sunny South Florida, we offer drug and alcohol addiction treatment as well as a major focus on dual diagnosis. Our addiction therapy programs include behavioral therapy, 12-step facilitation, psychotherapy, life skills training, and more. At our facility you can expect a low client to staff ratio, daily group therapy, weekly one-on-one therapy sessions, and luxury amenities such as volleyball, basketball, pool, chiropractor, personal trainer, yoga, massage therapy, and more. Contact the United Recovery Project today and let's create a better tomorrow.
2: Yeah, it's not rocket science. Yeah. It's really
1: not. I remember she goes. Uh, I was like, "What happened?" She's like, "Let me step away." So she steps away, and she's like, "I guess she uh, she shit her pants." <laughs> I was like, <laughs> "I was like, <laughs> what?" I, that's I was, why she was ready. That's why she was dope sick. Oh, she was super dope sick. Gotcha. You know. So I remember being like, "Wow, wow, that'll, that's crazy." That'll, that'll do it. <laughs> that'll do it. You know. <laughs> Sometimes it's like people underestimate how quick someone could go from like "fuck you, I don't want to be here" to like willing. All right. Well, like whatever. Yeah. And a lot of times it's just bluffing, you know, I know for me, like when I was using, I would like scream and yell.
2: I think a lot of parents are just scared of their kids. I mean, I can't, this is one thing that I refuse to do, but I can't tell you how many parents will reach out to me and say, Hey, my son, Brian's using, mm-hmm. and I'm like, he needs to talk to you. Like you're the guy. And yeah. I'm like, okay, no problem. She's like, could you call him? I'm like, yeah. And I go, all right, but don't tell him that I told you to call. <laughs> and I'm like, okay. So I'm gonna call up your son that's using. I'm gonna say, hey, my name is Kevin. I heard you're using drugs. And the first thing they're gonna say to me is, well, who gave you my number? And mm-hmm. then I'm gonna lie to them, right? Now you want this person to trust me. So now we started this relationship off with a lie. Mm-hmm. It's a terrible idea. It doesn't work. Yeah, we gotta confront this head on.
1: Yeah, they're afraid of the confrontation. Or you pull up to the house and the are like, shh,
2: he's upstairs. It's yeah, like, yeah, like, no shit. That's why we're here, right? We're gonna talk. <laughs> no, but. You- Oh, yeah, she's coming. Yeah. Well, like, we mm-hmm. got to, like, yeah. say to him that, you know, the gig's up. <laughs> people are just scared of their kids.
1: Yeah, I remember um, I was talking to someone, and their daughter was drunk, passed out in the other room. And she's like, she was drinking all night. I don't know what happened. She had one drink. And I'm like, that's because she's an alcoholic. And the lady was like, don't say that to her. She'll go crazy. <laughs> <laughs> I remember being like. People think people aren't as ingrained to it as us. But it's because every time they co- they. S- try to say she's an alcoholic she gets all crazy and angry and it's like of course you know yeah let me ask you what was your first year like compared to like year two and three
2: my first year was awesome man my first year was like when i realized that i was like actually staying clean hitting those milestones of month after month and the the work i did with my sponsor Saul Mm -hmm. was incredible the step work you know that that really changed my life and then like the you know it was exciting You know, I got my first apartment, I got furniture, and then the holidays, Mm -hmm. and then the birthdays, and I mean, it was just, it was awesome. Probably the happiest time of my life.
1: What type of furniture did you get?
2: Uh, I can't remember the name of the furniture store. We'll tag them in the post and figure it out. No,
1: just because like, I remember the first time I bought a couch, and it was like from Ikea. Well, you
2: know me, I like to move a lot. So like, my first apartment was furnished. Mm -hmm. That was in Lindenhurst. And then I got a second apartment in Amityville that was furnished. Mm -hmm. But I think still in the first year, I had gotten, like, my first, like, house rental. It was, yeah. like, one side of a two-family. And I went and bought furniture. But I remember that my mom came over, mm-hmm. and she, like, helped me hang curtains. And yeah. Diane was there. And, you know, we furnished it. It was, mm-hmm. a, it was an amazing uh, thing, you know? And then you start, like, you start building up your stuff, right? Well, it's, like, when you're using, everything's so
1: temporary. So yeah. it's, like, when you're using, it's, like, you don't. Paint the walls. You know what I mean?
2: It's like you don't hang anything up. Dude, I had nothing when I got yeah. clean. So I was like building up my sneaker collection and, you know, acquiring things. Mm-hmm. And then you start to learn about the, that you're filling a void. Yeah. I remember my sponsor telling me. You know, hey, like this is only gonna bring you happiness for so long. Yeah, I remember. Then you go get an overpriced car that you shouldn't get. I was stuck with that car payment for a while. And it's like everyone does that. You know
1: what I mean? I'm just so glad he did the tattoo thing. Me too. (laughs) Oh my God. Me too.
2: My parents say me all the time, especially my dad. He's like, you gotta be like the one guy who's in recovery (laughs) who's got no tattoos. And a lot of parents will ask me that as well. And it's like, I didn't have money for tattoos when I was. I remember looking at people's tattoos and be like, that was.
1: That's gotta be 20 grand. Like,
2: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, Mikey Ave, yeah, Mikey Ave is covered, mm-hmm. you know, and he got his side, he? yeah, <laughs> he hasn't colored it in. Yeah, he's got a, He's got a <laughs> lot. He was a, one of the first people I saw in earlier recovery. I was like, man, you got a lot of tattoos, yeah. No, I never did the tattoos, but... Um,
1: and I'm not saying like to bash people with tattoos. I just know that my tattoo ideas were so dumb that if I had them now, I'd just be like, yeah, early recovery, sorry, like I'm yeah. retarded.
2: But yeah, that first year was, was a really beautiful process, you know, mm-hmm. reconnecting with my family, just doing like living life the right way. Mm-hmm. I had a car that was registered and a driver's license and yeah. I, my credit card bill would come and I would pay mm-hmm. that. And
1: I think during my first year, looking back, it was like the most beautiful time I've ever had. But during it, it was like my mind was so negative that I would ruin even like good things happening to me, you know, like I would get a car and then I'd be like thinking about why it's not like this car or like I would only be able to enjoy things like very briefly until I was like already complaining about them some type of way. And I think it took it took me like a year to like settle with my feelings, you know.
2: Did I ever tell you what happened to me when, in my first year clean? When uh, the night I I had the really bad urge to get high, uh-uh. you know, like the, the the later part of my using, I was except for my last run, mm-hmm. uh, 2012 to 2016, I was living down here, right? You know, I really didn't know a lot of drug dealers in New York anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, my last run, I was with that guy I AMA'd from a detox with, and we were up in the Bronx with his people, whatever. Mm-hmm. I don't have the Addict's Diary yet, but I'm writing on Facebook and I have uh, some notoriety and stuff. And Mm -hmm. so I make up my mind that, you know, I'm going to do a little bit of cocaine, but I'm in this really bad position, right? Because I don't know anybody that sells cocaine in New York anymore. Mm
1: -hmm.
2: And I got to, I can't ask anybody because everybody knows that I'm clean, (laughs) right? So I Google, I Google like how to find cocaine or whatever on Craigslist at the time. Uh Uh-huh. And it tells me to to type this in and this in. I don't want to teach people how to do it, right? So, yeah. make a long story short, I get some guy's phone number in in Manhattan. Uh-huh. He's down by the Empire State Building, and I'm like, all right. And he gives me the price. It was like 200 for an eight ball, and I shoot down there. Mm-hmm. And this is uh, aren't eight balls like a hundred bucks? I th- I think they used to be hundred and fifty because it was like fifty a gram, but you were getting three and a half grams, so you would get a little deal. But this was Manhattan prices. So okay. he was like, okay. he was. She said two hundred. I didn't give a fuck what he said. I was ready to go. I was clean just hey, about a I'm year. Just I yeah. had money and I drive down there the whole way. I'm driving there. I know I shouldn't be doing this. Mm-hmm. And I'm praying that I'll stop, but I'm locked and loaded, bro. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think I even stopped and got like a, a, a bag of syringes, right? Mm-hmm. And I, I don't think I ever wrote about this story. I should. It's ashamed of it, but it's, it's been years now, right? So mm-hmm. so I go all the way uh, into Manhattan and the guy's like, this is pre-COVID and back the way the city is now. So the city's packed. Mm-hmm. He's like, hey, pull over here and and, and and wait for me. What kind of car are you in? I'm like, I'm in a black Infinity. And he comes up and he does a quick hand-to-hand. I give him 200 bucks and he gives me a, a plastic bag with cellophane inside it wrapped up real tight. Mm-hmm. And so I go to like down one, two blocks in case anybody saw us. And of course it hit me. Like it always hit me. I'm like, I'm not making it home with this. Like I got to shoot some of this cocaine. Mm-hmm. And I go to open up, I start opening up the baggie and there's no, it's just wrapped up paper inside like six oh layers my of plastic. God. And so I throw the car in reverse and like my eyes hit the rearview mirror. And I just say to myself, I'm like, you don't belong out here anymore. Uh, you know, you, you're not cut out for this anymore.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And so I pause for a second and I'm pissed because he just took $200 from me. Mm-hmm. And I just laugh and I say, he just saved you $20,000. Wow. And I drove home. You didn't get high? That was the last time I tried to get high. Oh my God. Yeah, I was like, man, you know, t- 10 years, I never got robbed. I never got beat. You ain't cut out for this anymore.
1: Yeah, it's crazy how angry we we could get. Well, like when And it, you know
2: what I did? I did something very smart on the way home.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: I got something to eat. And I went home, I watched TV, and I fell asleep. Mm-hmm. Because, bro, for me, if I'm not, like, taking care of myself, eating enough, sleeping yeah. enough, drinking enough water, whatever, exercising, I start to get real negative. I mean, mm-hmm. my first year was a lot of—I was just trying to stay away from drugs any way I could.
1: yeah. But yeah, Yeah, that was the last time I tried. That's crazy. I never knew. I never told you this story. Yeah. Yeah, So it's crazy because like even with working out, like I didn't work out. Yeah, I wanted to like look better, but like working out made me not depressed. Like if I didn't work out one day, I'd be like, why do I feel like shit? And then I start eating like shit. And it's like working out like game. Yeah, it's endorphins, the sunlight, being outside, like just doing some simple things. And it's like. In uh, treatment, they try to get you to take, like, all sorts of meds. And, like, for me, like, I just didn't want to take meds. Looking back, I think I should have took sleep meds because I couldn't sleep for, like, a year and a half. I think working out was one of the No one was
2: was trying to give me meds because I didn't have insurance. (laughs) like,
1: you can't see the doctor, bud. Here's the vitamin B12. Yeah, take a hike. (laughs) Yeah, it's crazy. I never knew that story. Yeah, Yeah, it's interesting how, like, when we were using, like, if someone were to, like, try to rob you of, like, a couple hundred dollars, it would be, like, the end of the world. But, like. I would rob my mom or my parents or like do all sorts of fucked up shit and not even think
2: twice about it. Well, bro, I had that moment the next morning. Like I'm sure you've had at times where you thought about getting Mm -hmm. high where I woke up and I was so grateful I didn't get high. Yeah. Because countless other times, including 29 Mm -hmm. rehabs, I had that moment where you wake up the next day and it's like, oh, fuck, what did you do? Right. Mm -hmm. So you wake up the night after you relapse and it's like, what did I do? And what's the next thing that you do? Well, I know how to forget about this. Use more. Let me go get high.
1: Yeah, I don't think – I think that's, like, one of the main tricks to staying clean is that if you just go to sleep when you feel like using, somehow, some way, hit that pillow clean. When you wake up, the feeling will be gone. You'll not feel like using. And you'll almost feel like, who was that person yesterday trying to fuck yeah, this all I'm up? a fucking idiot. And man. then when good things start happening that week, you'll start to think, like, wow, none of this would have happened. Yeah. It's always, like, when I felt like using, I would stay clean, and the next day, like – Somebody would be like, "Hey, you know, you're doing really well, or whatever." And I'm like, "Wow."
2: I made I made a commitment to myself after that that I was going to stay clean at least a year. I read something about you know how and had heard it many takes times, a year. Yeah, yeah, how I like, fucked up safe. thinking, and it's mm-hmm. really honestly probably more like two years. But after a year, <laughs> I was thinking a lot clearer, and then yeah. after two years, you're like, "Wow, I'm thinking,
1: I'm thinking totally Yeah, I remember well, today. I remember when I went to treatment. The doctor was like, "You know, you're really young. You'll bounce back quick." Your serotonin levels are going to be low. I think after a year, you should be okay. And I was like, a year? <laughs> but I remember, like, the doctor...
2: Yeah, you really, you really messed up your development. I
1: remember the doctor telling me, like, dude, you're not going to produce serotonin. You're not going to have dopamine. Your endorphins are going to be extremely Did you ever, low. Were you
2: ever in, like, a room the first year clean, and everyone was laughing at something? And you're? I would sit there, like, stone-faced?
1: Yeah, yeah, you're not there. You
2: don't, yeah, you don't have it.
1: No, and not only is it not funny, like, you're watching life. Yeah. Like, you, you don't even true feel... Yeah. You feel like you're on the Why Truman show. Here? And like, dude, to me, I was in high school, but I remember being in high school and just looking around like this can't be real. <laughs> you know, like yeah. I had nothing in common with these people, you know? And I remember being in high school and I would stare at the door, like uh this thought of like my friends from recovery would like knock on the door and like take me out of school, you know, <laughs> like, cause I just wanted, like, I hated being in school. I had, when I hung out with other kids my age, it just made me feel so apparent of how much I fucked my life up. Recovery around other people who also fucked their life up, like, lets you kind of feel like it's going to be okay. Yeah. You yeah, know? For sure. And I think, like, being, like, the fuck-up of the family, you just feel so outcasted. Especially Years. when
2: you come from families like ours. Like, the people oh in the God. rooms are so much more understanding of, like— Or families, like, <laughs> devastated. They're like, yeah. you know, I couldn't tell my family nothing about what was going on with me.
1: And I couldn't even be mad at them because it's, like, they didn't raise me like that. Dude, my mom didn't raise me to fucking smoke crack and, like, rob dealers and, like, get in car chases and, like, at such a young age. Like, bro, I had a good family. Yeah. So it's, like, I couldn't even tell them what was going on with me because I knew that they wouldn't understand. And, two, like, what, what could they really do? What are some yeah. of your favorite success stories?
2: Well, some, some of them I can't talk about. There's, there's one guy who... I'm super proud of him. Like, he's he's been clean now mm-hmm. probably four years. He went back to school, uh, got, like, a finance degree, has a really good job, got married, just had a son. At the end of it. Is. Yeah. Yeah. Like, he's probably my all-time favorite because mm-hmm. of the bond that I built with him and, and his mm-hmm. family. I got a couple people, like, across the country. There's this guy Sam out in Minnesota.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: He's just probably, like, one of the most grateful people I've ever helped where he checks in with me three, four times a year. And I swear to God, when I talk to this kid, you would think that, like, he put me in treatment because he's so far involved in, like, AA and Mm -hmm. spirituality. And he's just, like, the man, you know, his mom is a sweetheart and Mm -hmm. um, love him. Of course, we've got, you know, we got Big Kevin. Love watching him, you know, go. I have a lot of people, Mm -hmm. but uh, as of late, like, one of the most impressive ones would have to be Nathan B. Just to see him, like, escape the throes of addiction, living homelessly in South Florida to... Getting clean and um, mm-hmm. it's a complete miracle. He just like listened, you know, finally I was able to yeah. to get through to him. And, and what was awesome about him was like he listened, but he did the work himself. Like sometimes a lot of people will really latch on to me and that's cool. Mm-hmm. But there's only so much I have to give, you know, like as you stay clean longer, like your life gets busier. You know, when I helped the first guy that we were talking about, like I had the time to hang out with him every day yeah, yeah. for a while. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. And, like, when, like by a, the time yeah. by the time Nate was getting clean, like I, I didn't I had like the time to take calls and stuff from yeah. him and see him maybe once a week. Mm-hmm. But I mean, I'm just super proud of the kid. Like he's he's amazing, you know. I can't wait to see what's in store for him next. Like he's just done things that I give him credit, you know, like he's got balls. Like he's mm-hmm. he went down to the union hall, he got a, he got an application, he's now an iron worker. And uh, he gets up, he goes to work every day. He's got a second job at night. He's got a, a you know, a nice girl. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he's obviously very into the gym. And I'm just like, I'm, I'm so proud of, of everything that he's done for himself. You know, mm-hmm. I don't take credit for him. You know, he's just, he's really changed his life. And he, he was, there was a time like six months prior where his mom called. Mm-hmm. And he had a bad overdose. Somebody had found him. She must've got word that he passed. Mm-hmm. And she called me and said, you know, he's gone. I'll never forget. I sat down on my stairs. I didn't know what to do. I didn't even know what to say to her. And we eventually hung up. And I called Jake and I said, "You know, Nate's gone, bro." We didn't even know what to. It was just sad. And then somehow, like two hours later, his mom calls like, like he's dead. not dead. Oh my he's god! He's actually not dead. And I was like, Tanya, <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> you know, like is he Whoa. dead or not? <laughs> You're fucking killing us here. Wow. Shortly well, oh my after god. that. Shortly after that, yeah, he got clean. Well, yeah, but he was You're like, bad. you like, we thought bro. you were dead. <laughs> yeah, he was. I don't even know if he really understands it. Like, yeah. he, he, was, he was bad, man. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, there's, there's, I'm probably forgetting, you know, I don't want to offend somebody yeah, right now that I'm forgetting. Just those mm-hmm. are the ones. It's, it's not easy talking on camera yeah, into yeah, a yeah, microphone, but, you know, those are definitely some of my favorites for sure.
1: Yeah, yeah. And I think that um, my biggest thing is that sometimes when you meet with the family, they haven't seen a thousand people get clean. You know, so th- to them, they really don't know if it's possible. Yeah. You know, I'll get calls from a mom being like, I don't know. Johnny's pretty bad. Yeah. And it's like, what's he doing? I think he's doing Xanax and smoking weed every day. But it, you, don't, you don't understand. Like, he's yeah. just off the... And it's like, the, the family really thinks that there's no way their kid can get clean and doesn't think that there's any way that they're going to stop their lifestyle. And it's like, you know, there's this girl that I helped get sober... And her parents was like, I don't think she's going to get sober. She's going to be like her aunt. going to be drinking for the rest of her life. And I'm like, and it's not that they don't love them. They just truly have never seen someone stop drinking that's an alcoholic. And then I remember the mom was like, even if she did stop drinking, she's never going to stop working at a bar. She doesn't have any other skills. And it's like, dude, it's 21st century. Like, how are people still really believing that, like, someone can't stop drinking? And, dude, she's been clean over 10 years now. After a year, she stopped bartending. Now she's like, she was did yoga for all these years. And That's it's great. like, it's so amazing to see. But if anything, it's like cool to like see the family be blown away at like, wow, I never knew this
2: was possible. Yeah. I want to, uh, we can't forget Angie. She's mm-hmm. a good success story for Absolutely. us. She's going to lose her mind if I don't shout her out. So <laughs> Angie, uh, you know, is a miracle. You know, mm-hmm. she's done and watch her grow and become a, a mom. And, mm-hmm. you know, she's got a... a Uh, Someone that she's dating very seriously, and you know, become Mm -hmm. like just become a better person. She does tons of therapy and stuff. It's, it's, I like people that, you know, I don't dislike other people. I just like people that you can, you know, give the ball to and they run with it. Yeah. You know, that, that really impresses me. And they check in with you every couple of months. Yeah, well, Angie, I mean, unfortunately, she checks in with me. (laughs) Like, she's, I'm like, have to tell her sometimes, like, she's chilled out a lot. But in the first couple of years, I was like, all right, we get it. You know, you're staying clean. Yeah. You know, Mm -hmm. no she's great you know she helps us run the page yeah that's cool yeah
1: yeah i remember uh i remember you sent me a video of an intervention once and uh it almost made me cry because i remember just thinking like dude i wish someone talked to me i think like my parents were scared of me and like my family was scared of me but like i know like if kev alter came to my house like you weren't scared of 17 year old brian you know what i mean and like i know that like somebody like you could have came and talked to me and like instantly i would have been like dude this guy used to shoot heroin like
2: I wish someone would have done it for me too. I wish I wish yeah. I had. I wish stuff like this existed when when I first started going mm-hmm. and getting, you know, having a problem. Like my parents, I, I probably told this on the last episode, but I'll say it again. My parents and me, we uh, we found my first treatment center in the. This this shows you how far back this <laughs> in the fucking phone book.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, like we didn't. There was nobody that was doing this. Yeah. And they popped open the phone book, and that's how we found the mm-hmm. place I went to. And even with the podcast, it's like, I remember
1: the only thing I knew about addiction was intervention. And when you watch intervention, there's no hope in it. They don't get clean. Every episode. Oh, show? Yeah, yeah. Every show ends with, like. He left three he weeks in treatment. Yeah, yeah, he left treatment, AMA. He died. He was found in a dumpster. And then, like, that's it. Yeah. There was no hope that people were getting clean. So it's like, instead of, like. It's
2: bat- going to be hard, though, after being on, like, the TV show. I know people on it. There's people like in South Florida that are like, yeah, I was
1: on intervention. Really? Yeah. But how do they not know they're on the show though? I think that they make them, that they tell them that it's a documentary about addiction. So they're not. So how in, many
2: people are gonna fall for that? At some point, you gotta be like, wait a sec. Hold up. This is intervention. <laughs> wait a second.
1: <laughs> yeah, is that show still on? I don't know if they do new episodes. One last question Importance of uh, sober living.
2: I think for the, for the right person, it's extremely important because mm-hmm. you have to follow the rules of sober living, right? Or you're mm-hmm. homeless. And that's a great motivator for people to go to meetings, get a sponsor, do the work. Mm-hmm. I also feel that as addicts and alcoholics, a lot of us are um, chameleons. And, you know, we'll, we'll kind of do what everyone else is doing to blend in. Mm-hmm. And like you said, that whole, that whole team, you know, yeah, being, part of, being to, part of a team. It like, starts to benefit like, you. If you go back right? home a lot of people they like, can't handle it you know mm-hmm. i and think it's, like, it's i think it's, it's good for, for if the house is is you know kept to a certain standard mm-hmm. there's rules that are being enforced it can't be a free for all yeah and like curfew alone kills most of the
1: problems you know yeah, right. the fact that you have a curfew be home, at 10. Nothing, home goes, at, yeah. nothing goes on nothing good
2: goes
1: on after 10 yeah so it's like the curfew the camaraderie you know just not being alone because it's like dude there's times where i was alone and my parents were in the other room or in the kitchen and, like, I couldn't tell them I was going through it. But, like, in a sober living, you don't even have to say it. People just yeah, see it on tell. your face and they're just like, yo, let's go do to the beach or let's go to a meeting. Or or you just feel like it's not that bad because it's like, bro, this dude's next to me, too. He <laughs> just got to call that fucking, you know, <laughs> his, wife's divorcing, <laughs> his him. wife's divorcing him, you know, so it's like. It keeps you grateful,
2: you know? There's nothing. It really makes you, what it did for me was, I've lived in so many sober livings. What it really did for me was appreciate having my own place. Yeah. You know, there's, there's nothing like, uh, you know, the food you bought yesterday still being in the <laughs> fridge after living in sober livings for 10 years where, yeah. you, you know, you buy milk, you come in the morning and it's like a spit loaf. Mm-hmm. You know, that was, yeah. or your, all your all your body wash has been used by the six or guys in the, someone the house. Someone put
1: their finger in your peanut butter. Yeah. <laughs>
2: Yeah, there's uh it's it's a it's a stepping stone, mm-hmm. though. It's yeah. not a lifestyle. Of course, None of this is a lifestyle. Sure. I see people turn it into a lifestyle, you know, going to treatment, going to sober living, getting high, going mm-hmm. to treatment, going to sober living. It's not a lifestyle, mm-hmm. you know, if, if there's something yes. that you're missing. You need to change it. You need to fix it. Otherwise, mm-hmm. yeah. And the thing
1: is, like, you shouldn't be super life. comfortable in a sober living because you should be thinking about, you know, hey, look, Saving I need to, money to save your money. I need to get out of here, you know? <laughs> Well, hey, I want to appreciate you for coming on the show. I love you very much. Love you too, bro. I know you're busy, so thank you. Thank you, brother. This show is not affiliated with any specific 12-step program. If you or a loved one is struggling with an addiction, please find a local 12-step meeting. If you believe you may need detox or drug treatment of any kind, please call 833-999-1877 to speak to a specialist. The show is sponsored by United Recovery Project, a state-of-the-art drug and alcohol rehab facility. You can visit our website at unitedrecoveryproject.com.